0: They're blocking the transition process with President-elect Joe Biden's team. Coronavirus numbers this Sunday are simply depressing. I don't know a better word for it. At what point does a delay hamper a smooth transition or pose a risk to national security? Of course it would be better if we could start working with them. It's almost like passing a baton in a race. You don't want to stop and then give it to somebody. You want to just essentially keep going. It's been
1: a bit of a week, so let's take a second to review. Joe Biden is president-elect.
2: He will be president. The math here is overwhelming.
1: He received 5 million more votes than President Trump.
2: One of the largest margins in about 20 years, that's where it currently stands. And he
1: won the Electoral College with 306 president votes. Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th president of the United States, winning the White House and denying President Trump a second
2: term. We're able
1: to make- As we discussed last week, President Trump and his campaign team have yet to accept the results of the election. They're pursuing lawsuits across the country, but none of them are expected to affect the outcome. So if you're finding all of this a bit confusing, there are a couple of past episodes that might help you out. There's the one on vote-by-mail and election security, and our episode on disinformation will help you sort out facts from fiction. This week, we're talking about transitions— Despite President Trump's refusal to concede the election, the Biden-Harris team is gearing up to take office on January 20th. Now, most people never really pay much attention to the details of transition between presidents. But as President Trump tries to obstruct the process, we're learning just how high the stakes actually are. The incoming president needs to be briefed on the issues he'll be tackling come Inauguration Day, and the new administration will have to staff up, There are about 4,000 new political appointees needed, many of whom need to be confirmed by the Senate or have a background check. To explain all this, I called up someone who knows all about what transitions normally look like and how President Trump is breaking those norms.
2: Well, our organization has focused on government effectiveness. We're a good government organization. We believe the government has an important role in society. And the more effective it is, the better it is for the American people.
1: David Marchik is the director of the Center for Presidential Transition.
2: And so a good, effective government starts with a good transition.
1: So I think the interesting thing about transition is that it's not something new. But this cycle, there seems to be a lot more focus on it. There's all this talk about the General Services Administration, something most people haven't actually heard of, which ascertains who the next president will be and then helps with the transition. So I kind of want to start right there. You know, With the basics, in a totally normal presidential transition, what should we expect to see happen?
2: That's a great question. In a totally normal presidential transition, you wouldn't hear about the GSA. The country would not know the word ascertainment. And what you'd see is huge collaboration between the outgoing administration and the incoming administration for the benefit of the American people. I'll give you a perfect example. Perhaps the most important thing going on in the, in the government right now is, is Operation Warp Speed, which is this multi-agency effort to develop and distribute the vaccine. There are some policy issues involved, but mostly it's a logistics issue. It's how do you get 300 million shots in arms, including my daughter's arm, who she has asthma. I want to get that shot in her arm as quickly as possible. The American people would benefit if the Biden team were working today with those agencies to refine and perfect those plans.
1: You mentioned the GSA. You mentioned ascertainment. What are those things? What, do, what role do they play? And really just walk me through the steps of a peaceful transfer of power.
2: So in 1960, we had a very close presidential election between Nixon and Kennedy. It was much closer than this election, multiple times closer. Nixon felt that he could push a recount But it wasn't in the interest of the United States. He felt like the best thing to do was to concede. Congress, seeing how close that election was, passed a law called the Presidential Transition Act of 1963, which lays out a number of steps for a peaceful transition of power. They vested authority in the General Services Administration. It's an agency of the government that focuses on real estate and procurement. So they buy the pencils, the cars, the computers, and everything else for for the government. It's not a political agency. It's it's an administrative agency. So they gave that agency the authority to ascertain the winner. Basically, who, who should get the services of the GSA to support their efforts? And the GSA, therefore, is responsible for providing space, computers, and other services to the incoming administration so that they have all the support of the government. And so... GSA normally ascertains the winner within 24 hours. That's only not been done once in the year 2000 when we had a very close election.
1: So in 2000, Gore was running against Bush, and the fate of the election came down to 537 individual votes in Florida. And while there was a recount of those votes, that very small decisive margin, you're saying that the GSA couldn't ascertain a winner, and so the transition ended up being delayed. What did that mean for the Bush administration when they did eventually come in?
2: Well, many people, including our center, the Center for Presidential Transition, have studied that transition. It was a 37-day transition, as opposed to the typical 75 to 78 transition and it slowed the launch of the Bush administration. The 9-11 Commission did an analysis of the impact of the transition, and they found that the shortened transition had a material impact on delaying the appointment, recruitment, and installation of key officials in the national security space, and that compromised our readiness. And they said, we should never have this happened again.
1: And I think one thing to note here is, you know, we've talked a lot about what should be happening. Why isn't it happening, and what is the explanation for that?
2: You know, we're a nonpartisan, good government organization. We've worked with the Trump White House very well, and we've worked with the GSA very well. We've worked with the Biden team very well. You know, I'll leave it to others to speculate. You know, I would just say this is the first time that ascertainment has been politicized since 1963. And I'm hopeful that reason will prevail and we can get going today or soon.
1: It is interesting to note that the person who signs off on this ascertainment or who ascertains that Joe Biden's the winner is a political appointee. And you recently sat down with a friend of yours who was in the same position during 2000 and interviewed them about what went on in that election and how he decided, you know, whether or not he was going to ascertain who the winner was. Can you just talk a little bit about that conversation and you know what he said about the difference between then and now?
2: Sure. Dave Barum, he was a successful business executive. He was chief financial officer for Apple. Then he came into the Clinton administration as deputy secretary of commerce and then the head of GSA. And so he was put into GSA to make GSA more effective on procurement, on you know, helping save the government money and ultimately saving the taxpayer money he found himself in the hot seat in the year 2000 when the election was too close to call. And he said a few things. One is that the White House never put pressure on him. Second is that he was only going to look at the facts. He was not going to look at the politics.
0: This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like.
2: You know, he basically said it was a gut-check decision. That he grew up going to kind of an evangelical high school. His dad was a Baptist minister. And ultimately, he said, I knew that whatever I did, I'd be very unpopular. But I had to do what's right. And I had to do what's right for the country. Because I would have to live with myself for the rest of my life, and all I have is my good name. He knew that it was only his decision.
1: After the break, what this delay means for the country.
0: This is David Axelrod, host of The Axe Files, where each week I talk with some of the most interesting people in politics and beyond. You know, there's a lot going on right now, but on The Axe Files, I try to dig deeper than the soundbites and into the life moments that help explain who my guests truly are. I really enjoy these conversations, and I hope you will, too. To learn more about the show, visit cnn.com slash
1: And we're back. I'm here with David Marchik from the Center for Presidential Transitions. So is this going to have any impact on whether or not Joe Biden gets sworn in and becomes president? And what's the risk here for the country? I mean, is there a risk?
2: So Joe Biden will be sworn in on January 20th. We have had 223 years of peaceful transitions. We've had good transitions. We've had bad transitions. They've never been shots fired. The army's never been alerted. Um, we've had presidents that didn't like each other come and go. We've had presidents that didn't talk to each other on the way to the Capitol in the car or the carriage. We've had presidents that wouldn't show up at each other's inaugurations. So that's happened. But we've never had a non-peaceful transition of power. And we'll have a transition of power that's peaceful this year.
1: So what, when you're talking to our listeners right now, you know what should they expect to see next? And what should happen next?
2: I'm hopeful that we have an ascertainment decision soon. The data that came out from election officials on Friday is now even more definitive because Pennsylvania announced they weren't going to have a recount. Nevada and Arizona said that they were done, no recount. So hopefully we have an ascertainment decision. Then... The eyes of the world will go on the outgoing administration, and will they cooperate with the incoming on economic issues, on COVID, and on national security issues? I look back to the Bush-Obama transition of power, where the outgoing collaborated with the incoming at a time of two wars and a financial crisis, and that's the model. That's what we should be striving for.
1: David, thank you so much for joining me. I, I really appreciate it.
2: Delighted to uh, join, and thanks for your time.
1: One thing I know for sure, over the past four years, we've learned a lot about how our democracy works. And as this season of Election 101 comes to a close, there's something I want you to know. It doesn't end here. Our role in democracy doesn't stop when we cast our ballots, or on January 20th, when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are sworn in. Active involvement in the democratic process can be part of your everyday life. So how do you keep it going? Talk to people. Ask people in your running group or book club, your Bible study or karaoke crew about the issues that they care about. And share what matters to you. Maybe it's more green space in your town or a lower tax rate or more early voting sites so that you don't have to spend so much time waiting in line. Once you've figured out what issues you care about, keep track of them and figure out how to take action. Subscribe to your local newspaper. Look up organizations in your area that are working on issues you care about. If you're concerned about something, other people probably are too. Follow your local elections. There are more coming in 2021. Learn your city or town council person's name and let them know what they can do to better represent you. I want to hear about how you are taking part. Email askelection101 at cnn.com or tweet at me, at Kristen And on behalf of the whole Election 101 team, thank you so much for listening. Election 101 is a production of CNN Audio and iHeartRadio. It's hosted by me, Kristen Holmes, and this episode was produced by Alice Wilder. It was mixed by Ben Shano. Meryl Aguiche was our fact checker. Haley Thomas is the senior news producer, and Megan Marcus is the executive producer of CNN Audio. Additional support for the show comes from Greta Cohn, Lacey Roberts, Sarah Nix, Ashley Lusk, Lindsay Abrams, and Lisa Namoro.